With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Pour one more beer for me. Exile needs quality. So savagely. Best beer in all the land. Brewed with a loving hand. From bottle, keg, or can. Exile Brewing. E-X-I-L-E. For me. E-X-I-L-E. Let's drink. Crack open a Ruthie today. Enjoy your Podcast with Miller and Dace, post Iowa Media Day edition of this podcast. And, you know, I, I followed a lot of what uh, Rob Howe from HawkeyeNation.com had to uh, say in some of the videos that he had. And, of course, <clears throat> other Iowa media members who were there. Uh, I was not present this year. You know, I, I think the last one of these I went to was the uh, 2012 edition, and I'd been to every one of the previous 13 years of the Kirk Ferentz era, and you know, I, I'm not going to sit here and poo-poo them and say that there's no value to them. We we talked a little bit about this last week, but there's not a lot. Um, you know, practice has just begun, and, and the coaches are going to be very guarded. But there were a few things that um, I thought were worth bringing up, maybe highlights, and you can certainly chime in on these or, or any of your own. Um, let's begin with the quarterback situation, which Kirk Ferentz kind of addressed in his opening statement uh, at the press conference. You know, Uyghurs and Stanley, Steve, are splitting first-team reps in practice. So that right there, you know, I've been, I've been of the mindset all along that this has been a quarterback competition in the way that it's basically going to fall to Stanley. Um, you don't want to. You, you don't want Uyghurs to transfer out because he's a play away from being your starting quarterback. The guy behind him is either Ryan Boyle or this true freshman Peyton Mansell. So you're in a world of hurt in that regard. So I kind of felt it was a, I don't say a fake competition, but you know, but when you start splitting up first team reps in in fall camp, and they, they split reps in spring, I almost think we got to kind of take them at their word that this may actually be a quarterback competition. Well, I think there is a, a macro and micro application uh, to to what you just said. The, the micro is based on what we saw in the spring. And, yeah, I, I'm always the one that says you can't blow spring games out of proportion. But as I also point out, they're, they're designed to succeed. And when – you don't have a body of experience on the field um, that we can go back to. And then when we see you in the spring in a game where it's designed for you to succeed and you don't, that's legitimate cause for concern. And I, I don't think that what we saw in the spring ought to give anybody any confidence that at that point anybody was running away with it. That's the micro application. But the macro you addressed, you know, we are living in an era now where you know, we went through this in college basketball in the 90s where if you were – and it's that trend started then and it's continued on to this day and age. 
if you do well at a so-called mid-major conference, the chances that you're going to stay there for your career and not move on to a power conference are pretty low. And and now we're seeing this with the quarterback position, John. Guys just don't want to wait two to three years to be groomed, to be a backup. There's too many other options. I mean, Cody Sokol just had this issue at Iowa and went down and had a, a prolific career at Louisiana Tech. And and that is a that is a legit concern for the Iowa coaches. It's a legit concern for every coaching staff in America where you don't want your quarterback to be your starter and a true or a redshirt freshman because anybody else there who's a letterman or has any experience decides they don't want to sit, they don't want to wait, and they're going to move on. And uh, you're seeing a lot of coaches this time of year because, you know, I'm following a lot of this closely, listening to a lot of Sirius XM and following a lot of uh, college football media this time of year. Almost every coach, unless you got like Sam Darnold or Lamar Jackson coming back, everybody else is like, well, they're all getting equal reps in practice. Everybody is saying that. And and there may be some truth to it. You know, we're we're just into the first week of camp for everybody, you know, and so you'll probably get there. You, you give those guys two weeks of equal reps so you can make the case when he comes in your office bitching and moaning at the end of August. I'm going to transfer if I'm not your starter. You can make the case. Hey, I gave you a fair shake to win the job. You just couldn't get it done. Wait your turn. And so I think that's not just happening at Iowa, John. I think that's happening everywhere now. Yeah. And in this instance, the wait your turn is maybe a little more nuanced than that. Listen, you're going to be a play away. And if we get through the end of the season and you still feel this way, you know, you're on track to graduate. And if you want to transfer somewhere, we'll give you our blessing. Because Uyghurs would be in that position, I believe, as long as his academics um, are in line. Now, going back to your micro, as far as the spring games are set up for success, I don't recall Iowa's 2002 spring game um, or, or spring. I do. How, how'd the I watched I watched Brad Banks throw for like 800 yards. Okay. that That's going to be the exception of the Kirk Ferentz era. Most every spring day game, you know, called a game for lack of a better term, because it really hasn't been much of a game. There's been like, it's a scrimmage. Most everyone I've come away from, the defense has dominated. And I've left there going, oh man, they're, these guys on offense look horrible. The defense knew what the plays were, which of course they do know what the plays are. Um, and I, I'm, I'm probably going to sound a little bit homeristic, even though I did pick them six and six this season. But especially so, I think the offense can be challenged when, again, you have a transition to a new system and new nomenclature. Now, we had that in 2012. So if I'm going to use that to defend how they looked this spring, I can't overlook how poorly they looked in 2012 with a new system and new nomenclature. Now, some folks may want to say, well, it's, you know, Ken O'Keefe's back and, you know, Brian, it's, it's going to look a lot like how it used to look before Greg Davis got here. And I don't disagree, but <laughs> every single player that's on Iowa's roster, it's brand new to them. It may be an easier adjustment for Kirk and for Brian and other coaches that were here at that point in time. But for these players, it's brand new. So that is also a concern. So maybe all those things can be true, uh, but I, I do think it. Uh, I think it's going to wind up being Stanley, and certainly if it's even, you got to go with the guy who's got three years of eligibility left, as opposed to the guy that has two. I really agree with that last statement, and I, I, I can't help but chuckle when I hear, "Well, O'Keefe's here, so all will be well." 
you know, <laughs> 02, 03, 04, I was, as you well know, I was around the team a lot in that era when they finished top 10 years in a row. And do you know how many times, of course you do, because you were on the show regularly when I, when I was around the team a lot back then. How many times I did the Fire Ken O'Keefe show, the Fire Ken O'Keefe calls, the bubble screen, uh, you know, uh, jokes and uh, cheap shots. How many times? And now, you know, well, I think he's going to admit it's just it's funny how things work out. That's all. I yeah. just think it's funny. Yeah, I, I can say this confidently. I don't think there's another person who's in the media. And right now, I don't know that I even consider myself in the media. There's not another person who comments and follows the Hawkeyes and gets paid to do it who took more Fire Ken O'Keefe calls, who had more Fire Ken O'Keefe conversations than me. I mean, I did over 100 sound-offs. Mm-hmm. And, and the last year I did have sound-off was 2012, which was Greg Davis's first year. So, you know, 90 of them that Jim Zobel and I did together were during the Ken O'Keefe era. And the fire Ken O'Keefe stuff really didn't start firing up in earnest, I think, until you know, like oh six, oh seven. And that offense in oh six actually, you know, put up some decent numbers. But I got I was always a defender of Ken's and I got to the point when people would call in saying we gotta get rid of O'Keefe that I said, Folks, Ken O'Keefe has a boss. His name is Kirk Ferentz, and since Kirk Ferentz is not making any derogatory statements or actions against Ken O'Keefe, you have to view that as a de facto blessing and an mm-hmm. endorsement of him. And if you have a problem, then your problem is with Kirk Ferentz and not Ken O'Keefe. Because I watched tape of Ken O'Keefe's offenses when he won national championships down at the Division II level. And they didn't run an offense like what Kirk Ferentz runs. Uh, it w- I wouldn't call it a spread, but it was certainly more open, let's just say, than the Ferentz pro-style, truly pro-style, statistical, lowest risk to get a few yards approach that Kirk Ferentz has employed. So I'm not the one that was uh, on the fire Ken O'Keefe bandwagon. I didn't like seeing him go. I was thrilled that he came back. I can't help but think his fingerprints are going to be there. And, and you sent me an email this weekend. <laughs> Wondering who's who's going to be the one that's making the call on the quarterback because you know as Rob Howe, um, some people tweeted it out that you know uh, Brian Ferentz or, 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 or rather Ken O'Keefe was asked who's going to make the decision on the quarterback and Ken said that's going to be Brian Ferentz's call. Well, Kirk Ferentz said that Ken is going to be the point man, <laughs> but it will be a group decision. And Rob Howe then chimed in in his article, you need to listen to what Kirk Ferentz said. So I do, I do think that it's, you know, Ken's going to have his say. Uh, I think ultimately it will be a group decision. But I don't think it was a group decision the last time they were in this much of a battle, which was 07 with, or 08, rather, with Christensen and Stanzi. Ken O'Keefe, I've heard this through the years, and I believe it to be true. O'Keefe wanted Stanzi. Ference, uh, to quote Mark Morehouse, you know, um, went with the union card guy, Jake Christensen, who'd been there and who had the experience, and it took them four games to straighten that out. So, yeah, I, I think Ken's going to have his say in this. And, and maybe maybe Kirk learned from that, that maybe I ought to listen to Ken more on these bet things. 
Well, the reason that caught my eye is because um, I, as I talked about on the podcast last week, I am fascinated uh, just on a personal level. I have no idea what impact it'll have on the team or not. I, I just, I'm fascinated on a personal level how we're going to watch this play itself out this year. It's a unique situation. I, I'm not, you know, there's other schools. You look at Miami where Mark Richt has his son as the quarterback coach and, and they've got a quarterback competition going on down there this year. Um, you know, with guys trying to fill in for Brad Kaya. And so the son and the head coach will be involved in making the decision about who, the, who that might be. You know, Steve Spurrier's kid was, uh, was on his offensive staff for several years when he was at South Carolina. So that's not in and of itself unique. But, I, you know, consulting my college idiot savantness, I can't think of a scenario like Iowa's, though, where – you have the former offensive coordinator who had worked with the head coach, the dad, for so many years back to essentially help mentor the son who is the new offensive coordinator. I, I don't know that I've seen a dynamic quite like that. So I'm just going to be fascinated to watch it play itself out just because it's it's something that is a new element to Iowa football that – we, you know, that's a program that's been largely built on consistency. Although, as I've pointed out on this podcast several times the last few years, for for how conservative his game management style is, the reality is Kirk has largely built his program on a series of ballsy, go big or go home moves off the field, beginning from when he first took over and 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 established his own program and threw the old Hayden people out of there to build his own brand and. That rubbed a lot of people the wrong way, and they say you shouldn't you shouldn't have done that. And it worked out for him, and and so it, however however cons- conservative he is on game day, he has been freaking maverick um, a, a, a away from the field and how he's built that program. But but this is something new, and so I am fascinated to see how it turns out. I'm I'm trying not to let my you know typical the, the you know uh, political day job mindset you know, project on how I think this is going to go. Uh, so that's why I sent that to you yesterday. Right. Just to get some backstory and context, because I really don't want to flame this story or troll it. Um, I want to kind of let it play itself out. But I'm not going to lie, man. It's a juicy story for a team that, other than Akram Wadley, lacks sexiness this year. And so, you know, I'm a little fixated on this particular angle. I'm interested to see how it's going to turn out. Sure. And I think I touched on it last week or the week before, but I don't disagree. The dynamic of uh, intrigue is there. But I think that if we were talking about any other human being other than Ken O'Keefe being in that mix and being that figure in there, I think the potential for more drama would exist or certainly be greater than what I think is there now. I mean... Brian Ferentz has been around Ken O'Keefe probably the majority of his life. Ken used to be his dad's boss before Brian was, you know, even the proverbial itch in his dad's pocket, you know. So the O'Keefe's and Ferentz's go way back. And Brian was in high school when Ken O'Keefe was the offensive coordinator when Kirk came back to Iowa. So Brian has a ton of familiarity with him was in on those offensive meetings all those years when Ken was Iowa's offensive coordinator. So I do think that that familiarity is probably allows Brian to view Ken and also Ken's age. Ken, this is likely Ken's 
if it's not his last lap around the track, it's probably his second to last. He's got a three-year deal of over $500,000 a year for a quarterback's coach at Iowa. It's a lot of money. And he's gone, and he spent his five years in the NFL, did that. And I, I think that Brian actually can lean on Ken and pick his brain for his insight, and Brian won't feel threatened by Ken O'Keefe. Well, I told you last week I think that's a good observation. In fact, you know, I, I think you, you almost see that playing itself out in the way these quarterback decision comments were handled, in that you see O'Keefe going out of his way to be deferential and to promote the, the prominence of the positioning of Brian as, as the offensive coordinator. And then they go to the old man, and he's like, well, we're going to make the call the way I want to do it. You know, so I, I think in a way you, could, you saw some of that um, deferential nature in this situation from O'Keefe's perspective in the way that he handled that question. Um, I just think it's something that will be unique and, and we should definitely watch on game days for sure, particularly yeah. early in the year when you face those first pressure situations, for example. Yeah. You know, really when I, I was thinking on this today, there may be as much offensive coordination or offensive minded brain trust in the Iowa football program as there has been since Kirk first got there when Joe Philbin was on the staff. And I think Philbin went on to be, he was an OC in the NFL, and then he became a head coach. Yeah. Um, you know, Kirk was an OC for one year of his career. Um, Ken O'Keefe's been an offensive coordinator at Iowa and head coach at other locations for a number of years. And Tim Polisek, Iowa's offensive line coach, was the offensive coordinator at North Dakota State the last couple of years. So, I mean, there's, you know, if they if they continue to do what they've done during the majority of the Ferentz era, and Kirk is such a slave to routine and things of that nature, I can't imagine them changing all that much. They have, an, the, the entire offensive coaching staff gets together during the week. They all have input, and this is using Kirk's words, how much, I don't know. They all have input on the offensive game plan. And you've got Brian, who's the OC. You've got Tim Polisek, who's been an OC. You've got Ken O'Keefe, who's been a, That is a lot of offensive-minded guys in that room, which can't hurt, in my opinion. Um, Maybe there's agree. too many cooks. You could take that side. Well, that's what made me pause. And, I, you know, I'm not one to, as you know, not give a strong take, even if it's wrong. <laughs> the reason I'm hemming and hawing here is and I'm and I'm the reason I'm um, deferring to you is not because you're Mr. Hawkeye Nation that's never stopped me before um, but, the, <laughs> but, the, but the reason the reason I'm deferring to you here is because what we're what we're discussing is a personal is an interpersonal dynamic right and and I know probably not as well as you but I know two of the figures in here and now Ken was never very vocal with the media when I was around um, and I knew Norm much better. But, you know, I had a lot of dealings with Ken over the years, and obviously I knew Kirk very well. Brian, I don't know at all. I don't. I've had no dealings with him at all. And so it just makes no sense for me if, if we're going to discuss an interpersonal dynamic between, between three people, and I only have had dealings with two of them extensively, and you've had dealings with all three, it would simply make sense that you're better qualified to discuss this matter than me. That's why I'm restraining myself well 
let me transition let me transition into the next point I wanted to make. In 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 watching Brian Ferentz's videos, number of them I watched and and hearing him. I mean, I've not been around many people in my life who I would say are more self-assured than Brian Ferentz is. He's near the top of the list. Uh, talks a great game, very self-confident, uh, cocky, arrogant. But I don't I don't use those terms as like um, derogatory terms. I, I, most successful people who attain positions like this, being an offensive coordinator at a Power 5 school, you have to have a little bit of gravitas and ego. Uh, I, I think that you do. And, and Brian certainly has that. And he... I really believe he's going to give them an opportunity for a breath of fresh air given his position of power that he has. And I think, and we've talked about this before, I think he's going to be able to get away with certain things, saying certain things, or the strength of his opinion, and to say, you know, Coach or Kirk, I really believe, you know, because you're not going to call him Dad in the, in, in the meeting rooms. I think we need to do this, and this is what I want to do. Brian has talked often or tweeted often before he kind of backed away from Twitter a little bit. Hashtag attack. And I don't want people to sit here and think, oh man, Iowa's going to be airing it out. They're going to be going over the top. The, the Hayden Fry days, you know, and, and Bill Snyder's offensive coordinator days are back again. No. I think with Brian, what that means is they've identified a weakness in film. And if that means they got to go with three, t- three tight ends uh, to exploit that weakness or Wadley and Butler at the same time to exploit that weakness, that's what they're going to do. They're going to attack that weakness. So I, 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 and this, this could be media day optimism. Again, I picked them six and six here. I'm not saying they're going to, I've all of a sudden been down in a keg of optimism this weekend and I've got them 10 and two all of a sudden. But I, I really think that Brian's fingerprints are going to be clear but I, I do think that while Brian does have that self-assuredness to him, which might not necessarily make you think it lends itself to listening to the group, I think with this particular group and that his dad's the coach and his experience with Ken O'Keefe, I, I do think that I do think it has a chance to work. We'll see. Could be wrong. We'll see. I mean, you just described a personality that's polar opposite of what Kirk built his program on. No but- question. But you know what, though? I mentioned a few minutes ago that Kirk's success has largely been built on several counterintuitive, ballsy decisions he made away from the field. And this would be counterintuitive. And it is ballsy putting your kid who's never called to play before in the second most high-profile position in your program other than head coach. Absolutely it is. And the, and the, way, it, the way this works is if, it, if, if this works out – um, Brian Ferentz is probably you're probably have a Ferentz coaching Iowa for the foreseeable future, whether their name is Kirk or Brian. Um, and if it does not, well, then you could be setting the stage for what we've seen so many other times at even far bigger programs in Iowa with great coaches who don't end well. And I think that's that's what's at risk here because if it doesn't work out. A lot of people's frustrations that just come with time, you know, familiarity breeds contempt, um, but those things will get exacerbated. But, but if it does work out, then more than likely, I think Brian Ferentz ends up being the next head coach at Iowa. 
Yeah, agreed. I was actually going to ask you if you're of that belief as well. So we both are. We're, we are both of the belief that this is this is the the ferret's goal, if you will. And um, so I think Brian's going to have every opportunity to put his own fingerprints on it. And I hope that the offense, the offensive nomenclature, and, and that would have been something I would have asked had I been there. And great, you know, before Gray got there, I mean, Dominique Douglas played as a freshman, played well. There were a smattering of other freshman receivers that saw the field in the Ferentz era. But during the Greg Davis era, you you rarely saw that. And all I would hear was that the the the, the passing game, the route ladders, the, the nomenclature, it was complicated. And they did those sight read things, which from the minute I first heard that from Kevontae Martin Manley at the 2012 Media Day, the first one of Greg Davis, I winced. When he talked about how it's basically they're calling the quarterback is reading the de- the defender, the wide receivers reading the defender, and the wide receivers running a route based upon what he reads, and I immediately felt that is too many points of failure, and I'm not a fan of this, and it 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 just didn't work, and you also had a system that was a little too complex so that young receivers couldn't get on the field. I sure hope that they've changed that because. They're going to need young players this year. Uh, Wide receiver coach Kelton Copeland said, uh, I can't remember if maybe to Mark Emmert or or someone else, that at least two freshmen will play. Uh, Brandon Smith, the big kid from down south, probably the most physically developed true freshman receiver they've had maybe ever. Um, He's been in a ton of the pictures on the website. Um, Copeland said, and I know that Mark Emmert tweeted this, that uh, Amir Smith-Marset, True freshman from Jersey is the best vertical threat so far. Um, James Butler, the Nevada running back, I saw a quote from him, I think in the Gazette, where when he was asked you know, who the fastest player is, he said Max Cooper, who is a true freshman uh, from Wisconsin. So I, I sure hope they've dumbed the, the, the wide receiver aspect of the playbook down because, Steve, there, there's no way that they can't rely on some young kids this year well this is a position that historically even you know in in today's college football historically we we don't see a lot of fresh of true freshmen make a big impact Uh, and you even see this in the nfl you know you can make an argument calvin johnson is the best wide receiver of this decade decade or the last decade in the NFL. You can make that argument. But you're also talking about a guy's rookie year in the NFL. You know, when he came in to play for my Lions, I knew what the play was when he came in because all he did was run end around reverses for his rookie season. You know, and and I I don't know so much that it's scheme as much as it's timing. Uh, And, you know, so much, particularly in the style of offense, if you're in a pro-style offense, a lot of that is going to be anticipatory throws. Um, and meaning, and what I mean by that for our listeners is throwing it to windows where you anticipate your receiver's going to be. And if you watch in the NFL, they use this phrase a lot on Sundays, throwing the guy open. Okay. And that just requires timing and reps. And, you know, uh, unless that's just hard to develop in the course of one off season, um, particularly because 
with the we have more limited practice time now and you know if you're not there if you're not an early enrollee then you weren't there in the spring when a lot of the basics of the offense were put in those inst those basic time the basic timing was put in and yeah you can go out and do seven on seven drills and throw the ball around and that's great but it's it's nothing like what you face when you're getting getting jammed at the line you can't there's just so much of that you can't simulate and again when you run a scheme like iowa's and you're not you're not spreading teams out with three or four receivers and it's just you know i'm trying to get this guy open in space then um i think it exacerbates those issues from a timing perspective all the more and not saying it just can't be done but historically we don't see a lot of freshman receivers or or rookie receivers make a big impact in the nfl and the reason why if i asked everybody think of great rookie wide receivers you know, people would be like, uh, you know, guys who dominated a receiver at their rookie year in the NFL. Oh, yeah, you mean like Randy Moss? Yeah, give me the next two or three guys. Uh, you mean like Randy Moss? You know what I'm trying to say? It's just, it's just hard. It's hard to develop that in one year, that, that chemistry, that timing. And that's why we typically don't see it. Indeed. Um, moving on to some other thoughts, um, James Butler. The aforementioned uh, Nevada running back transfer, Rob Howe, wrote that he has muscles. Uh, his muscles have muscles. Um, said all the right things. Said he and Wadley have developed uh, some chemistry. Uh, again, he said all the right things. He's been very prominent. Yeah, I don't know how you develop chemistry with a guy when you've known him for two weeks, but okay. Well, again, you know, I'm not here to take anybody's job, blah, blah, blah. Again, it, it's just, you know, it's media day stuff. I hear you. I hear you. I'm, yeah. I'm not. I'm not planting a flag, but I will say that um, I'm not worried about that situation. And the reason why is because this is a young man that knew what he was getting himself into when he came here. Okay, so you know he didn't have to leave his school. He chose to, and had to know he's he's you know there was already a guy here who very well could be a first round pick next April. So. You know, he chose to come here on his own, you know, unless he's, you know, bipolar, then my guess is he he made the calculation in his mind that running um, in a power five at a power five school that runs a pro style attack, which we don't see a lot of in today's college football, was that even if it cut his carries in half or more, given the amount of carries he was getting at Nevada, even if it cut his carries in half or more more that year of tape for nfl scouts was better for him than you know carrying another 300 times this fall for nevada and going maybe six and six so even though i don't buy the yeah we've got chemistry when we've known each other for two weeks i'm also not really that concerned about it because clearly the young man made this calculation for the for his future before he chose to come to iowa so he knows the situation. The situation is he's the backup. Um, he's a spot. He's a, he's, he's a guy that's going to spot Wadley. He's a guy that's going to give them the luxury of putting Wadley out in the flat, in the slot, out wide if they want to do that with a running threat there as well. And that's why, you know, I wouldn't, I wouldn't be too concerned about that. No, no, because he split carries at Nevada last year. And, you know, Akram split carries with – LaShawn Daniels last year and Akron was going to split carries this year I mean there's no way that he was going to be a 25 carry per game running back so 
it's really Tokes. Uh, gosh, I, from, I'm drawing a blank on the uh, kid from Wisconsin, the running back from Wisconsin that registered last year. Those guys would be the guys whose heads I'd worry a little bit more about. But, you know, four running backs is the bare minimum that you want to have going into a, a Big Ten football season. So I, I, well, if you're an Iowa fan, you know there's, not, there's no such thing as too many running backs. No question about it. Um, the punter and, and kicker, um, it is a – Ongoing competition between third-year walk-on Colton Rastetter and true freshman Ryan um, Gersten. Is it Gersten or Gerstond? I'm not exactly sure of his pronunciation. He's a true freshman, so that's what you get. Uh, punter at Iowa, always pretty key. This year, field position probably even more at a premium because we just have so many unknowns with regards to moving the ball on offense and the passing game. I mean, last year's passing game was bad, the worst that I can recall. And Ron Caluzzi maybe made the he, – he might have been worth one win cumulatively last year. And when you also look at what he did on kickoffs last year, 65.63% of his kickoffs were touchbacks, which was the 15th best percentage in the country. And you talk about a, um, a squad – that is prone for injury. It's the suicide squad, the the kickoff coverage unit. And 65.63% of the time, they didn't have to run down there and run into a, a concrete wall. So that's obviously going to be a big deal. And then lastly, for me, um, I think they're going to have more depth on the defensive line than they've had in years, a number of years. Now, a lot of that depth is going to be unproven. So I'm not saying that, you know, the, the days of uh, Matt Cruel and Mitch King and, you know, Kenny Awebema and Brian Madison uh, are back. But I do think that they're going to have more bodies than they've had in recent years. And even back in 2010, they wore down. They just didn't have a deep rotation. They didn't have a deep rotation a few years ago in, in 2015 at the end of the year. They wore down. You know, uh, it was evident against Michigan State and then in the uh, in the Rose Bowl. So they're, they're going to have some guys with some inside-out flexibility, A.J. Eads, or not A.J. Eads, A.J. Epinesa, rather. Um, and then um, Matt Nelson, they can go inside or outside. I, I still think you're going to see uh, Epinesa with more of a snaps on the inside. But Phil Parker talked a lot about having that versatility and having more bodies, and Reese Morgan talked about that, having more bodies. And, you know, more bodies – I, as long as you don't have a, a whole line of uh, you know freshmen and sophomores out there, you can work guys in. That helps when you when you limit the snap counts down and you don't have a Jaleel Johnson you know taking 600 snaps out there during the course of the year and you get to late November and he's wearing down. Now, two quick things in response to what you just said. I'll start with the defensive line. I'm glad you referenced Jaleel Johnson because I'll go back to what I heard Mike Mayock say for the NFL Network prior to the last April's draft that he thought Jaleel Johnson was a very difficult player for him to evaluate because of all the top defensive tackles in the draft that he watched film on, more was asked of him in terms of play volume than any of the, of any of the other prospects. And he's had a hard time projecting him in the NFL because he was asked to do so much for Iowa that he kind of, from an NFL perspective, became a jack-of-all-trades, master-of-none um, they had to wear too many hats and play too many snaps. Um, so I think that absolutely validates what you just pointed out about the defensive front. And I would not poo-poo the punter thing at all. 
Um, when you look at Iowa's style of play, um, in and of itself, field position and hidden yardage is an important aspect of the way Iowa's program is constructed. But when you throw in the element of where we're not sure the quarterback situation is at the moment, um, then I think that amplifies it, you know, another at least 10% more. So, I, I, you know, if, if you're not going to have an offense that is that can stretch the field, that is a big play offense in most Iowa teams, including most successful and, and, and highly successful football teams at Iowa under Ference have not had that, then the field position aspect of things, that's an important part of, I mean, it's an important part of the game anyway, but that's even amplified from an Iowa perspective. And just go back to last year. I mean, the biggest win Iowa had last year um, was the result of backing Michigan up against uh, the, sh- the the you know shadow of its own goal line, and a and a and a stunt and a missed block, and that Jaleel Johnson exploits, bursts through the line, and that's and, and gets a safety, and that that changed the momentum of that game, and was the momentum swing in Iowa's biggest moment of last season. So that just only goes to just reinforce in recent history the importance of the added extra importance of field position in the way Iowa plays. Um, anything that you observed that you want to talk about for media day? I think we touched on everything. I yeah. mean, unless you're there, you know, I'm a big eye test guy because I don't really – they're all coached to say nothing. Yeah, you always asked me that and it made me uncomfortable. Well, I'm, I'm, I'm in, I'm, I like – well, it's not just sizing up, the t- you know, how the team looks physically – but watching body language when guys talk, you know, are we just that I wind you up and I and, and you just you made sure to check every box of every talking point. Phil Hattie and Ferentz took you aside before we showed up and said to say, you know, you know, so that's I just think there's it's limited what you get out of these things anyway, even more so when you're not there and you can't actually see who you're actually talking to. That's going to do it for uh, this installment of the HN Podcast. Thanks again to Exile Brewing Company for being our anchor sponsor. Steve and I talked for about another half hour, actually, and I'm going to break this up into a two-parter. We'll release the next installment tomorrow, and it will be about what uh, Steve has seen from watching the Big Ten Network tour stop shows for Indiana and Ohio State, but also some interesting comments that Jim Delaney, Big Ten Commissioner Jim Delaney, gave to Sirius XM Radio a few weeks ago that Steve and I have been kind of sitting on. The future of uh, Big Ten television contracts, Jim Delaney's thoughts on that, and, and actually it's more than just milk toast. There's some meat on the bone. So Steve and I have another 30, 35 minutes of college football talk that we think that you may be interested in because we were interested in it, and we'll have that for you tomorrow. So for Steve, I'm John. That'll do it for this episode of the HN Podcast from the Exile Brewing Company Studios. <laughs>